Welcome to this Nat Alliance Now COVID-19 Conversation Sites and Insights podcast. The episode today is titled, How the CARES Act Affects Employee Benefit Plans. My guests are Dr. Victor Paleo and Bob Rogers. Bob Rogers is a CLU CHFC and head of academic content. He has over 30 years of experience as a national faculty member with the National Alliance and started a career at Metropolitan Life Insurance Company in 1967 as a college trainee. He then retired from MetLife in 2001 as vice president of voluntary permanent life insurance. Dr. Victor Paleo is the Davy Chair of Risk Management and Insurance in the Lacey School of Business at Butler University. Dr. Paleo earned a doctorate degree in risk management and insurance at Florida State University. He serves as the area coordinator for risk management insurance and the academic director of the MSRI program in the Lacey School of Business. Dr. Paleo is a certified insurance counselor and a certified financial planner. He is an educational consultant and national faculty member for the Society of Certified Insurance Counselors. Dr. Paleo is a member of the board of directors and the immediate past chair of the National Alliance Research Academy. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for the introduction. Bob, let me turn the time over to you to uh, conduct this podcast with Dr. Paleo. Thank you, Mitch. Well, Victor, you you and I have been teaching uh, and been working together in the industry for uh, a number of years, and we've experienced uh, a lot of things with regard to benefits and the environment that businesses are conducted in, but I must say we are in uncharted waters, my friend. Don't you agree? Bob, this year, I agree 100%. By the way, it's been 25 years since we've been working together, and that's uh, that seems like it just started yesterday, and because it's such a pleasure to always have the opportunity to work with you, even though right now we're having to come to everybody online versus uh, at one of our live programs. And I want to commend the National Alliance. They have done an outstanding yeah. job of being able to transition everybody from our live institutes around the country um, and face-to-face to the online environment, something that we're having to do at Butler University. And um, it's almost like we all got thrown off the ship at the same time. And all of us are treading water on how to teach online. Fortunately enough, uh, on behalf of the risk insurance faculty member at Butler, we have all been teaching in online because our master's of risk insurance program is online. So we haven't suffered as painful a transition as others, but I really want to give a shout out to all faculty nationwide, K through 12 at university levels for what they're having to do to be able to accommodate education at this time. And you're right. I've never quite seen anything like this. We all thought Obamacare um, was going to be the biggest piece of federal legislation that we ever had to deal with in our lifetime. But less than six months ago, we started to deal with the SECURE Act. And now all of a sudden, we have three new acts in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We have the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act, which was the first one from from Congress signed by the president. And then after that followed the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, the FFCRA, and I'm going to reference that a couple of times 
in today's presentation. And then we have the CARES Act, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. And while all of my friends uh, and, and immediate professionals that deal in the benefits space are overwhelmed with this, we have the property and casualty side also dealing with um, business interruption and how do we actually cover this. And let me tell you, we're getting a lot more press with these three acts every day then they are getting coverage on the business interruption and they'll eventually figure out how they're going to deal with that later. But for right now, we've got the CARES Act to talk about and, and how it affects employee benefit plans. And I'm so happy to be here with you today to do that. Thank you, Victor. You know, the uh, all of us have been watching the news and uh, listening and, and all, we hear, all I hear is $2 trillion that all of these phase one, phase two, and phase three that they're, that they're putting in that these acts are uh, 900 pages, over 800 pages long. And certainly uh, the CARES Act, as you just indicated, as many of these things tend to do, they, they affect many things. And, and uh, what we're going to talk about today, as you just said, was the, how the CARES Act affects health and welfare plans. So uh, I want to kind of just uh, give you a little... Uh, a push in the swing, Victor, and say, uh, uh, you know, start talking a little bit about health and welfare plans and what you have seen uh, with regard to the impact of the CARES Act on these health and welfare plans, not only from an employer perspective, um, but the people who are sponsoring these, but from an employee perspective, the people who, who are receiving the benefits. So, Victor, give us a, give us your thoughts. Sure. Well, we've got a lot of different benefits that the CARES Act actually affects. And the first grouping that we're going to simply talk about is just health plans or health and welfare plans. And primarily, we're just going to be talking about employer-sponsored health insurance plans. And so the first of those, the second of the three acts that I mentioned, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, had a COVID-19 mandate built into it. And that applied as of the signing of that legislation. Uh, and until further notice, until we have the COVID-19 under control. And essentially what that mandate required is that all plans must cover all testing for COVID-19, and here's the catch, without any cost sharing. So it's treated as a preventative benefit inside of an employer-sponsored plan. So that prohibits any cost sharing that means no deductibles apply, no co-payments apply, no co-insurance applies. And that came out of the Family First Corona Response Act. And then CARES comes in behind that. And the CARES Act builds on that by requiring private insurance plans to cover all COVID-19 testing, uh, including in-person or telehealth. And we're going to talk a little bit about telehealth in a minute. Visits to a doctor's office and urgent care visit or any kind of emergency room that results in either testing or screening for COVID-19. So all of that's been mandated and without any cost sharing because everybody was worried, well, how much is this going to cost if I actually feel like I have some of the symptoms? Right. And one of these facilities, how much is it going to cost me? So they wouldn't go. So this is part of that mandate is this, go. Your plan will cover it. And then the president in one of his daily press conferences says, and if you don't have insurance, we're still going to pay for it. 
So there is no excuse if you feel like you have uh, uh, symptoms of COVID-19 for you not to at least take advantage of telehealth. Um, and then, of course, because they're trying to tell you, stay out of the doctor's office. And we're going to talk oh, about absolutely. Yeah, because that's you know, the last place you want to go is a hospital or, or particularly through the ER. Um, so but we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, and the COVID-19 coverage mandate, and this is pretty important, is considered a material uh, modification to these employer-sponsored plans. And when there's a, a material modification to an employer-sponsored plan, we're now covering COVID-19 um, screening and testing. That's an, and it's going to be on a preventative nature. That's a material modification. Plan participants are required to be notified. Most employers are doing an outstanding job of notifying their employees that this is now covered with no, without any cost sharing. But the federal law says you have a 210 days after the close of the plan year. So at the end of this plan year, most of the plans end at the end of June, end of December. So within 210 days into 2021, you have to notify your plan participants that COVID-19 is treated as a preventative um, benefit with respect to testing and screening. So, but like I said, most employers have already notified their plan participants. If we fast forward a little bit, and I know we're all uh, really waiting for this to happen, but uh, when uh, when the vaccine is uh, brought forth, uh, I'm uh, just making an assumption that that's also going to be under this same this same program where there's there's no charge for it or that, it, that it, there's not going to be a deductible or copay, even for the vaccine going in the future. Am I right there? Looking, well, you must be looking at my uh, my outline of my notes here. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> absolutely. The problem is right now we don't have the vaccine. So right. as soon as there is a vaccine, then that is also going to be covered. It's already part of the CARES Act. The issue is we don't have it yet, but this is interesting. Okay. We said it is going. your employer-sponsored plans are going to cover something that doesn't exist yet. I really can't think of any other time in my professional career where we actually said a plan is going to cover something even though it doesn't exist yet. But when yeah. there is a vaccine for the COVID-19, that is also part of the CARES Act, and it is preventative in nature, no cost-sharing. And that is leading me to this next point is high deductible health plans because generally speaking high deductible health plans covered preventative types of benefits even before an individual satisfied the high deductible but there's some right. interesting things here with respect to high deductible health plans and the reason why i want to bring this up is such a large percentage of our participants in our cic institutes our crm institutes our cisr institutes as well as some of the people on that will listen to this podcast, they're actually covered by a high deductible health plan. They're wondering, well, what about me? Well, the CARES Act responded to that as well. So the high deductible health plans will still will will not fail to maintain their status by providing medical services um, uh, for the testing and treatment of COVID nineteen. So even those high deductible health plans expanded those benefits. And they're still going to be considered high deductible health plans, even though they're covering the uh, testing and treatment of COVID-19. And that's a pretty significant uh, part of the CARES Act as well. So, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Now, now you, you mentioned the high deductible health plans, the HSAs, 
um, uh, what else is the CARES Act? I mean, I know we have a number of federal uh, acts that are, we call them, when we teach, we call them consumer-driven health plans. I know uh, uh, the flexible spending accounts, the FSAs, are they affected by this as well? Uh, absolutely. The, the, the CARES Act. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So a couple of things here. Uh, with those, what we essentially call our tax, our, 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 our consumer-driven health plans with the tax savings components and sometimes even just the flexible spending account. So let's go over those specific types of benefits. We talk about the health savings accounts. We talk about the health flexible spending accounts, and we talk about the health reimbursement arrangements. Those are three things that we always talk about as tax right. health health accounts. One of the right. things the CARES Act actually did is allows for the purchase without a prescription from a physician over-the-counter medications and drugs for health savings accounts, for health flexible spending accounts, and for HRAs. So the CARES Act simply removes the requirement that over-the-counter medicines must be prescribed to be paid for uh, with an HSA, an HFSA, or an HRA. And that provision applies to purchases made after December 31st, 2019. And for those individuals that are not aware that when the Affordable Care Act came out, it removed the ability to purchase over-the-counter drugs through the HSAs and the FSAs. This has now been put back in. Why? Well, you think about it. You can buy your ibuprofen, your Tylenol, and all those things with your uh, credit cards that are linked to your FSA accounts or your HSA accounts, and you can order it uh, through CVS or Walgreens or Amazon and have it delivered to your house. And that's all the, um, a qualified medical expense now prior to the CARES Act you could not use those accounts to be reimbursed for that. So that's a pretty significant part of, of the CARES Act and how it impacted those tax-advantaged accounts. Then we talked a little bit about telehealth, and I really want to promote that. Uh, even Medicare recipients are eligible for telehealth, and the whole whole drive between with telehealth is we don't want you to go to the doctor when you're not feeling well. Just dial up your doctor online, have a conversation with the doctor, and if the doctor feels like you actually have the symptoms that are severe enough that you need to actually see a physician, go into an ER to deal with COVID-19, you can do that. But there's so many other things that we're all dealing with. You have you know, have a blemish on your face and you don't want to go to a dermatologist in the middle of all of this. You simply call up a dermatologist on, on telehealth and the plans will pick that up. So telehealth and other kind of remote care can now uh, is be covered without any deductibles and is now compatible with all the high deductible health plans and health savings accounts. And that did not exist before because you had to first satisfy your deductible. So the expense of those were incurred within the deductible. So the CARES Act expanded telehealth and telemedicine for those individuals covered by high deductible health plans as well. And I so know- all great I know, news uh, for employees. Yes. Well, I know my uh, my own personal experience, my primary care physician sent out a notice probably, I want to say three weeks ago from, from their office uh, that they said, you know, we're now part of telehealth. We want you to contact us through telehealth. And I know that this is, that this is uh, uh, through the, the healthcare uh, industry uh, that, that you're seeing a lot of that 
uh, this is how everybody's wanting to communicate or, or wanting to deal with their patients because uh, you know they have <laughs> they certainly have issues as well. So we're all concerned about about each other uh, and the, the distancing issues and and telehealth. I think is something that that we're really seeing uh, uh, come to the fore, and it's kind of like uh, this. Uh, the, the remote working, I think it's going to be one of those things that is maybe changed as we go forward after this uh, pandemic subsides a little bit and people become more comfortable with it. I mean, it really is. And the fact that, that now telehealth does not fall under uh, under uh, your uh, high deductible plans, that everything's first dollar is quite an incentive. It really is. It's a huge incentive. And, and, and Bob, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think a lot of our listeners and our members are so concerned on a day-to-day basis of what's going on. When we come out on the other side of this COVID-19 pandemic, we've got to come out with some positive outcomes. Uh, We're going to lose a lot of lives. People are going to suffer financially. They're going to lose members of their household. All that's a given. But when we come out on the other side, we've got to come out with some positives. And one of the things I believe is actually going to come out on the positive is the more reliance on telehealth and telemedicine built into these plans. Um, For example, the um, that coverage of telehealth and telemedicine uh, goes um, uh, through plan years uh, through December of 2021. I see where Congress will make changes and allow that type of benefit to continue on in the future because now we're going to be comfortable going to doctors and other types of healthcare providers uh, through using telehealth and telemedicine and don't really want to get in the car and I mean, it's terrible to get in a car and you, you drive to the doctor's right. office, you sit in their office for an hour and a half to two hours, um, and then you finally get to see a healthcare professional. This is so much faster, much easier, much more efficient. So I do see that as a really positive thing that potentially comes out of it. And I, I suspect that we'll keep the over-the-counter drugs eligible for HSAs and HRAs and FSAs as well. I don't see that disappearing. So there's a lot of things that are really positive to come out of this as well. There's one more thing, though, before we move on to um, some of the other um, parts of the CARES Act and benefits that are affected by the CARES Act that I wanted to really talk about is right now you're hearing a lot of individuals being furloughed. Um, There's a huge company called um, uh, Hobby Lobby. It just furloughed a a ridiculous number of employees. And part of their package was that they were going to be furloughed which means they're eligible now for unemployment benefits. We're going to talk briefly about that uh, in, a, in a few moments. But they furloughed them and paid their health care benefits. And when they pay their health care benefits when they're furloughed, that's essentially where the employer pays the COBRA premium on behalf of the employee. Now, let me put that in perspective. I had individual coverage at Butler University through a high-deductible health plan. My premium that I pay is about $45 a month. The premium my employer pays is about $500 a month. The total cost is $545, but I get a $500 subsidy from an employer. When you are terminated from your employer, you usually lose the subsidy. But what's happening with a lot of employers is they're paying the COBRA premium on behalf of the employees that are furloughed. So that means they're eligible for unemployment benefits and they're getting their health insurance pay for by the employer. And the only thing I want to really bring up about this is sometimes that COBRA subsidy through the employer is income tax-free, and sometimes it isn't. And so you really need to check with your employer if that affects you. If you're on the employer side and making this decision, 
you need to check with your healthcare provider or your third-party administrator to make sure whether or not that's going to actually be a, a tax-free benefit to your employees or that's going to be a taxable benefit to your employees. But Because before they were fur furloughed, the employer subsidy was a tax-free benefit. So it's really important that you provide that information out. Now, Bob, when we were introduced by Mitch, I don't recall him referring to us as CPAs. So you're exactly is, right. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to make sure that we encourage people to check with their uh, their CPAs, particularly our small agency, relatively small agency owners out there that don't have an in-house account that they use a third party for those types of services. They need to check with their CPAs with respect to any taxes that we reference throughout the presentation. Absolutely, and we always we always do that in our our CIC programs and our ruble programs as well, <clears throat> recognizing that uh, you know you need to go to your own tax advisor for your personal uh, your personal situations. Well, speaking of taxes, I want to change this topic just uh, just a minute. I also uh, am aware that there are uh, employer refundable uh, payroll tax credits that are part of this this whole program and even delayed payroll tax payments. So uh, what can you help us with with that, uh, Victor? Yeah, th this is another really big piece of this legend. There's a reason it's $2.2 trillion, and there's a reason uh, <laughs> Congress is asking for another quarter of a, a trillion dollars for the payroll protection program, which is part of the CARES Act, is because the, all the spirit of this legislation is to keep as many people employed as possible because when we come out on the other side, we don't need to be in a process of rehiring employees. We need to be going back to work. And so part of that is to free up some cash flow. And that's where the CARES Act provides a tax credit against taxes owed by um, most employers in 2020 for uh, half of or 50% of the wages paid to employees while operations were impacted by COVID-19. And you're going to find very few organizations that weren't significantly impacted by COVID-19. Now, we've seen some organizations like grocery stores benefit from this. If you look at the spending trends and grocery store spending is spiked. I've never had to cook so much in my entire life, and I'm not saying I'm doing a <laughs> job. I'm just having to do it because I don't go into the restaurants like I used to. So right, and we've seen and we've seen some. We've even seen some grocery stores talk about increasing the hourly rate or the hourly wage of, of many of their employees. So it's you're right there. Yeah, they're they're increasing the hourly wages. They're still hiring. They're giving them bonuses um, and um, extended hour. They're doing an amazing thing to hire what is now referred to as a first line. Employee, who would have ever thought about somebody working in the grocery store was a first line employee? Right now, that is true because when I drive up to the grocery store and I pop the trunk and ask them to put the groceries in the back of my trunk that I ordered online, that is first line because I don't want to be in within not just six feet. I don't want to be within six miles of somebody right now um, right. because of, the, of, of the, the concerns there. So getting back though on what the CARES Act is talking about. Um, so the CARES Act provides a tax credit against taxes owed by most employers for 50% of wages paid to employees while operations were significantly impacted. And so let me kind of go over some of the details here because it's not all of your wages, but the maximum amount of the, of the wages taken into account for this credit 
with respect to each employee for all calendar quarters until this expires is $10,000. So it's up to $10,000 of, of qualified wages, and you get a tax credit equal to half of that or $5,000 per employee. So let me kind of give you an example for comparative purposes. So you um, have an eligible employer. Like I said, most employers are eligible. Uh, pays ten thousand in qualified wages to an employee. Let's call them employee A. That employee retention credit act available to that eligible employer for those ten thousand dollars in qualified wages is five thousand um, dollars. That is what is referred to as a fully refundable tax credit. So if when they file their taxes, if that amount of that five thousand dollar tax credit is not used, they get a refund of any unused portion of that, which can be then used to pay in the income taxes that the employer owes, any of the social security uh, payroll taxes withheld uh, from an employee's check, it can be used for that as well. So that's a, that's a huge benefit and the credits are, are fully refundable and, and it's essentially paying your more than the payroll taxes the employer would have paid on $10,000 worth of pay. Because the payroll taxes, 6.2% for old age survivors and disability and 1.45 for Medicare combined is 7.65%. 7.65% right. of 10,000 is only $765 with the payroll taxes. So this is a big, big push. The whole purpose of which is to actually give up some, to free up some cash flow um, of, uh, of the employer. And, and actually, if you're going to keep your employees on, we're going to help you pay your payroll taxes. And that's a big deal. I mentioned the credits available for employers whose operations were fully or partially suspended, uh, and they must demonstrate that they were had a significant reduction or decline in revenue this year compared to the same quarter of the previous year. And for a lot of individuals, think about hotels and restaurants and any kind of hospitality and service industries. They're just going to have no problem demonstrating that whatsoever. The CARES Act also permits employers, and this is another help for the cash flow, to delay depositing their Social Security taxes incurred between March 27th of 2020 and January, 20, uh, January 1st, 2021. So in other words, all the, the payroll taxes due between now and the end of the year, they get to delay making those payments, a portion of that. So an employer um, actually called the Employee Retention Credit under the CARES Act, allow that employer to delay 50% of their employer side of the payroll tax until December 31st of 2021, and then the other 50% until December 31st of 2022. Goodness that's, gracious. That's getting an interest-free loan from the federal government to pay your social security payroll taxes that you owe not with you withheld from the from your employees, but your share as the employer for those social security taxes. That's a big deal to help with payroll. So again, I want to caution everybody. That's what the <clears throat> that's a summary of the CARES Act. You de definitely want to reach out to your accountant to make sure that uh, you're in complete compliance with that if you decide to take advantage of the uh, employee retention credit under the CARES Act. But that ability for the federal government to to provide you with a tax credit towards your payment. And if you still owe money, they're gonna give you an extension for half of what you owe until December 31st, 2021. 
and then the other half until December 31st, 2022. And again, that's just your payroll taxes, not just your income tax, that's your right. payroll taxes. Right. That's a big right. deal because that makes it easier oh, it to, to keep your employees. It is. It is. Hey friends, this is the end of part one of Bob and Dr. Paleo's conversation. For more information on the CARES Act, particularly on how it affects individual benefits, tune in next time for part two. And as always, thanks for listening.